0: Well, good morning. It's so good to see you uh, today. And uh, for those of you, again, on live stream, uh, we can't wait for you to be back with us to see uh, your faces as well. I hope you just listened to the words of that song. For some of you, it might be new, but you're going to hear those words over and over through this uh, short message. Did you hear how I encouraged you right there? This short message, and uh, you're going to hear those words over and over again. So I hope that you really paid attention to that. It's a beautiful song. Uh, Many of you probably know this. If you do not know that our brother Frank Barnett went home to be with the Lord this week, and that's a sad uh, thing because for many, we haven't got to see his face in a while, and we want to pray for them and pray for the family and pray for Naomi as she's dealing with this. And so would you, for a moment, let's just pray. For the Barnett family. Lord, we thank you for Frank. What a joyous spirit that he had and always had a smile and was always encouraging. And we thank you for his life. And We pray that you would be with his dear wife, Naomi. That this is a bitter, sweet time. We know that Frank is with Jesus because of his trust and putting his faith in you. But at the same time, we miss him. And I know, name, we will too, in the family. And I pray that this Tuesday, when we celebrate his life here, or people can watch online, that his life will be honored and you as well, his Lord. We thank you again in your name. Amen. And not to miss what this weekend is uh, my father was Air Force during the Korean War. And uh, my dad told me he fueled jet planes, and he was an AP, uh, Air Force Police. And uh, he was proud of all that he did during his service. And I know that many of you in this room had family uh, that have passed away, and they were military, and some of you have family and friends that are military right now. And uh, this weekend is not necessary just to go to the lake, but it is to remember those who have um, fallen and who have served. And it would be a miss for us to not stop and just say thank you to the Lord. And so I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different. And uh, if you have a family member that has passed, that was military, or you have a family or friend that's military now, I wonder if you would do, uh, just in memory of them, if you would stand with me. And we just want to thank the Lord for them and for their service, and so thank you. And then I'm going to just ask something just off the cuff, and Matt's going to be good with this, right, Matt? So Matt is, Matt, would you come up here and join me? Uh, Matt is retired military, and I thought it would just be fitting for a retired military man to pray uh, for this, why we're celebrating this weekend, Memorial. So Matt, would you pray for us and pray for... I I didn't prepare for this. That's okay. Lord knows that.
1: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all of our brothers and sisters who have gone before us and laid down their lives to give the ultimate sacrifice in combat or coming home with their wounds and taking them to you, Heavenly Father, and laying them down at your feet when they meet you. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a place of freedom a beacon of light in a world that is broken Heavenly Father let the freedom and the beauty that we stand for righteousness let that shine through in all that have gone before us who have blazed the trail and set the pace Heavenly Father let us honor them this weekend and let us just lift them up to you, hold them close, and hold them under the flag. Amen.
0: Thanks, Matt. And hey, Matt, thanks for your service.
1: Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Hey, you may be seated and uh, take your Bible, if you will, and turn to First Peter. We'll be in chapter four again, and we'll finish it up. And for many of you, you'll be happy to know that Pastor Marty, as of right now, is planned to be here next Sunday with a new series, excited about it. If you've uh, read through the New Testament, you realize that the disciples who followed Jesus, they could adapt to anything, and then they could engage wherever they were. That's how Jesus trained them, that they could just go anywhere and adapt to whatever it was. And especially if you read the life of Paul through the book of Acts, you see that he adapted and engaged no matter what. I mean, difficulty was around the corner for Paul in every turn. And yet, he continued. He never stopped. He never pulled back. He never shrank to the mission. He just kept doing it. It didn't matter if he was in prison or if he was being stoned or being beaten or if he was having to run for his life many, many times through the book of Acts. And yet, you see that Paul, because he had this call on his life, he just engaged And he adapted, and he just kept moving forward. Well, why I say all that is because here Peter is writing to some people that they're disciples of Christ as well, and yet they are being incredibly persecuted. And so as he's talking to them, he's not just giving them a pep talk, but he is actually reminding them of the mission they've been called to and that they are to continually adapt and to engage and never shrink back. But I know this well because it's just my personality. I can shrink back real quickly if I don't watch out. And I know for many of us that we could shrink back whenever times get difficult or things are a little wonky, they're not quite like they should be, things are out of order, and so we might shrink back. In fact, what happens a lot of times is people, uh, if they're not careful, they turn inward and they begin to have tunnel vision for their own life. And, in fact, at the very beginning, it feels like it's a safe haven to, like, protect yourself and to draw back and to, you know, withdraw. But that might work for just a little bit, but it always backfires. And all of us know this. We've tried this at times to try to shrink back, try to protect ourselves, and yet it always backfires. In fact, there's a quote I'd like for you to see, and it says this, "'Most, not all, of people's gloominess and joylessness "'is from self-absorption and small-mindedness. "'The cure is to embrace a vision of life "'that is far greater than one's present concerns.'" And so, I think that's exactly what Peter is saying to his uh, people that he is pastoring at the time, going through all the suffering, and at the same time, because this is God's Word, he is, the Spirit of God is saying that to you and I. Hey, don't shrink back, but keep engaged, keep moving forward. If you have to adapt, that's what disciples do. They adapt and they move forward. In fact, we haven't got to do this in a while. And so I'm going to invite you, if you have 1 Peter, and even at home, 1 Peter chapter 4, let's stand together and read some passages. Doesn't that feel good? That really feels good. Plus, I'm not the only one standing now, so there you go. Start in verse 1. We talked about this last week. Therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And if you remember from last week, his thinking was to please the Father no matter what comes. If you'll drop down to verse 7, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we're going to look at verses 8 through 11 real quickly. And so if you'll look at the very beginning of verse 8, it says, above all, keep. And that's what I want to stop for just a moment. It's interesting, this particular word, keep, it's connecting what he has been saying in verse 7. And if you remember last week, we talked about be self-controlled, have sober thinking so that your prayers aren't just inward, but your prayers are like what God would have you to pray during difficult times. And so keep praying like that. Keep your mind clear. Keep it sober. Don't let anything intoxicate it or take it away from the purposes of God. And at the same time, he says, at the same time, keep on doing something else. It says, never stop or slow down loving one another earnestly. Some of y'all, you have in your translation, it says, love fervently. This particular word means to stretch, to strain, to reach out until it hurts. So, uh, just because we have a small number here, we can do this. How many of y'all ran track when you were in high school or junior high? Any of you? Yeah, I see a few of you. Awesome. And you'll remember this, how the coach would tell you, as you're getting close to the finish line, that is the last what? Burst. I mean, you stretch and strain. In fact, it might be just that very movement that will win you that race because you stretch and strain just a little harder than somebody else to get across the tape. And so what Peter is saying is when you and I love one another, we are to do it in a way that is fervent. It has some effort to it. It is stretching and it is straining. So in other words, what he's saying is, listen... In difficult times, it's not time to shrink back from loving one another, but it is really time to even put more effort into loving one another. Here's a little statement I've learned years ago, and I want you to say it with me, would you? Love is only as sincere as the effort put forth to express it. And so love is only as sincere as whenever you and I put forth some effort to express it to somebody else, there's the word, kind of the key word of that, is giving effort to love one another, not just with words, but with actions and going out of the way. Here's kind of a real simple thing: What is the difference between ordinary and you can talk out loud, okay? What is the difference between ordinary and extraordinary? Extra, exactly. You and I, when we are to love one another, we're not just to do ordinary. You're not to do that in your family, in your marriage, with your friends. You and I as believers are to be what? Extraordinary. So it would be good just to kind of think about like, hey, how have I been loving my family? How have I been loving other people in the body of Christ? How have I been loving people who are without Christ? And has it kind of gotten cooler has it kind of been pulled back because of maybe a pandemic has it like ceased has it slowed down peter is saying and he's, he's saying to you and i at the same time that it doesn't matter what's going on you and i are to continually have a fervent love for one another you and i are to be stretching and straining look at what the rest of it says since love covers a multitude of sins. You probably know this, but this love is agape love. It is the kind of love that God has for you and I. And when you became a follower of Christ, he came to live inside of you and give you the ability to love like he does. This love is not based on emotion or the situation. This love is the love of choice. It means Even when I was an enemy, he loved me. He chose to love me. You and I, that's how you and I are to love one another. We are to continually to choose to love one another, not because of the circumstance or I'm going to get something back from loving you or acting kind towards you, but I'm to love you because that's what God did for me. That's what I'm to do for you. I am choosing to love and I'm choosing to just go ahead and forgive. Because, you see what it says? Love covers a multitude of sins. It means it just goes ahead and forgives, overlooks petty faults and irritations, and just continues to love others because, hey, I don't want to stop what God is doing in my life. Because here's the thing. If you can choose to love, you can also, what? Choose to stop loving. And as you stop loving others, guess what happens? Petty things start picking up. Like, I didn't like the way she did that, or the way he did that, or the way she spoke to me. Now, some of you are thinking, like, I'm talking about my wife. Well, okay, I am. So the thing is, I I didn't like that error, you know, in her voice. Or, like, why did she say it like that, you know? And what happens is when you stop loving, choosing to love, then things just start irritating you. But yet, you and I, when we choose, we can overlook those things. Look, if you will, at verse 9, because he kind of in one breath says, You and I are to continue to love one another fervently. Love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality means that you and I are to love strangers. As a believer, you and I are not only to love one another in the body of Christ, but you and I have been given the privilege to love people we don't know, to love people who are different than us, to love people that we don't necessarily agree with, to love people that might put you off. You and I are to love strangers. I want you, if you will, turn to the classic illustration of these two verses. Take a left in your Bible and go to Luke chapter 10. A very, very familiar story, but it illustrates so clearly what Peter is saying to his people and what he is saying to you and I. You know it. It's the Good Samaritan. And so maybe, I, maybe you could do something. You could just say like, you know, I haven't read this in a while. Uh, I don't know this story. I'm not going to go like, oh, I know that story, and so I don't have to listen right now. But maybe listen with new ears, this story. In Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, it says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that is Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, the lawyer, answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, that is the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, And here's the story we all know well. Hear it with fresh ears, I hope. So why did they? I mean, why did they pass him by? Well, history, geography kind of tells you and I that this particular path, man, it was a great place for thieves to hide out. And when you came around the corner, you could be blindsided. And so maybe the priest and maybe the Levite, out of fear, thinking that that would happen the same thing to them, they're just waiting. Maybe this is just a decoy. That, so they just went on and left him. So fear, maybe. Maybe they didn't want to get themselves ceremonially unclean. Because you can just imagine where the priest and the Levite are going, right? I mean, the Levite needed to hurry up and get there to open up the temple because he he was kind of like the minister of maintenance. And he had to get there to get church started, you know. And the priest had to get there to get all ready to do his priestly thing that morning. And they had to be ceremonially clean, and so here's this guy half dead, and so I don't want to touch him, I don't want to help him, and so maybe somebody else that is not going to church, maybe somebody else will take care of that. Or maybe they just had uh, some other agenda. Uh, agenda, Or maybe it just required some effort. But yet, they just passed on by. So i got to tell you a funny story. So when our girls were small, my two oldest were riding with me on a Sunday night because does anyone remember Sunday night church? I know that's a, like a dinosaur, yeah, three of you, great. Anyway, so the thing is, we used to meet on Sunday nights as well, and so I was a youth pastor at a particular church out in the country, and uh, I had to be there because I had something I really had to do that night. And so my two oldest daughters were riding in the car to church. And it was my deal to tell Bible stories while we were driving because I I don't care for the radio because, in fact, the pickup I had only had, this is going to shock some of you, only a.m., only a.m., all right? And so, like, there's nothing to listen to on a.m., right? So I'm telling them a story. Guess what story I'm telling them? This story. I'm telling the story, they're listening, they're like laughing, I try to make it funny. And so we're going down the highway, and lo and behold, up ahead, there is a car broke down with a woman and three small children standing behind it on the highway. And I have to quickly think, what am I going to do? I'm telling my children, hey, thanks God, that's a funny trick. I'm telling them this very story. And I'm about to pass a lady in distress with her three children on the side of the road. And so what am I going to do? Like change the story? Like, hey, change the, the... That never works out good, right? And then, or like make an excuse. And so there's only one thing to do, right? Pull up behind, get out. And with all of my mechanical skills, I tried to get the car running. I checked the radiator and the wiper fluid... And that's as far as I could go. And the thing is, couldn't get the car running with those two things. And so we loaded up this mom and her three children, along with my two daughters and me, and we took them home, took about 30 minutes to get them home. And as we dropped them off and we're driving away, because I'm late to church, oh man, am I going to get in trouble with the head guy, you know? And so as we're driving off, my daughter one of them says hey we got to play the Samaritan today and with that I took them to Brahms instead of church that night (laughs) because they got it they got it they got what happened and so if you'll look in verse 33 this is where the story takes a twist you know by that time maybe whoever Jesus is telling this story to, they've already justified why the priest and the Levite went on. But it takes a twist because Jesus says, but a Samaritan. You you might not necessarily know what that means, but for a Jew, a Samaritan was not a full Jew. They would call him things like a half-breed. They despised him. That's why in the story when Jesus' disciples are going along and it says Jesus had to pull over because he honestly had a divine appointment with a Samaritan woman. And they're wondering, like, why would Jesus do this? Kind of gives you a hint of what people thought, especially Jews, thought of Samaritans. So Jesus says, hey, there's a Samaritan. And as he journeyed, he came to where he was, that is, the man beating, beaten, And left dead. And when he saw him, he had something that the Levi and the priest did not have. He had, say it with me, compassion. Uh, This is one of my favorite words in the Bible. In fact, I need more of it. But compassion means this right here it is your hurt in my heart you know that you have compassion when you see something going on with somebody and the hurt that they are experiencing you sense it in your heart and it does something because elsewhere in scripture when it talks about compassion it says it moved them to action and so this samaritan had something they didn't have they had compassion that is They had hurt for this man. But here's the other thing about a Samaritan. You see this from what Peter just said. Love covers a multitude of sins because as a Samaritan, most everybody would slander him. Everybody had something bad to say about him. Nobody really had anything good to say about a Samaritan except for another Samaritan. And so this Samaritan could be coming down the road, and this man laying on the side of the road could have been a full-fledged Jew. And because of the racism and the prejudice, this Samaritan could have said, well, look, you got what's coming to you, and just passed on the other side. But yet he didn't do that, because he allowed the love to what? Overlook an offense And to reach out and do something for him. In verse 34. He went to him and he bound up his wounds. Pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out some money. He took out some money and he gave it to the innkeeper. Here's someone we don't think about a lot. Like what did this speak to the innkeeper? Like whenever you like are loving and caring for someone and somebody else is around, like how God uses that as a witness. And so we don't think about this person, the innkeeper. And he says to the innkeeper, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And so here this Samaritan is doing what? He's loving fervently. It cost him time. It cost him his treasure. The very things he used to take care of this man might have been the very goods he was going to sell to make his living. And yet he took, and he, without any reservation, he loved this man fervently. In verse 36, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go, and you do likewise. From this little passage, here's something I want to call your attention to. If not careful, you and myself alike, probably more me than you, if not careful, we can see providential encounters. Now, let me just preface that. Providential means it is God working ahead, And oftentimes, you and I never see providence happening up ahead, but God is always at work in front of us. And so you often see providence either while it's happening or usually for me, after it's happened, and you look back and you go, oh my goodness, look what God was doing. And so, if not careful, you and I can see providential encounters like as interruptions, and we just pass them on by. Just for a moment, think. Have, have you realized there have been times that God put something right in front of you and because it looked like an interruption, you just passed it on by. So I started making a list and because it caused such depression in my life, I stopped because I can count over and over and over. And there will be up ahead the very same thing. That God has providentially allowed my path. He has providentially allowed your path or another person's path to encounter you. And if not careful, you'll see it as an interruption. And God will just have to have somebody else do it and they'll get the blessing and you'll miss it. Or you realize, man, this was God putting this right in my lap. Here's a verse I want you to look at. And I want you just to consider for just a moment. Let me back up. I think I had that verse up there, didn't I? I think, oh, hey, it's going to be in that slide. All right, can you see it? It's in, there we go, Proverbs nineteen twenty one. So I want you to look at that verse. If you can't see it, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Just think about that for a moment. How does that apply to your life? Many are the plans in the mind of a person. I have so many plans. I have so many plans. I have so many to-do lists. I have so many things I want to do, I need to do, and Sherry wants me to do. And, of course, that lands in the list of I can't wait to get to it because I love her so much. There you go. But the thing is, I have so many plans. So do you. But yet, it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So, for most of us, our plans fail. They don't get done. We don't get to it. But guess what? God's purpose always is going to be accomplished. To me, the verse says, you better make sure your plans, Jim, you better make sure your plans line up with God's purposes. Because it is going to be God's purposes that are going to be accomplished. I thought it would be a great time just to kind of remind you of something that's going to happen this summer. If you guys can help me with the Vacation Bible School. So we were planning on having Vacation Bible School here like we do every summer. And it's been a wonderful thing over the years. And this year, we're not canceling it, we're just remodeling it so that it might fit the time that we are kind of living in right now. And we're calling it Backyard Vacation Bible School. Now, that might scare some of you, but I want to hopefully just help you for a minute. What, what that means is you might live in a neighborhood where you see lots of children in your neighborhood, and you would be willing to like, be the host home. Uh, Meaning you would allow them to either use your front yard or backyard. But you're like, hey, I'm not a teacher. I don't do crafts very well, Uh, snacks. I don't do games. But you'd be willing to host. That would be wonderful. Uh, You might be the person who goes, hey, there's no one in my neighborhood, but I like to do crafts. I like to make cupcakes. I like to help with games. And you would go like, hey, I'd be willing to be placed somewhere where there's going to be a neighborhood vacation Bible school. And so here's what we're just asking, that you might see it as not an interruption, but it might be a providential encounter for people in your neighborhood. Because when I have done these particular things in neighborhoods, lots of parents often come with the children and oftentimes the parents get to hear what you're trying to tell the children. And so I would ask that you would pray and think about it and consider it and go like, hey, maybe this is one of those things God would want to use me during this time. And so we just ask that if that would be you, you would talk to Sean McGill. You can call, you can email, you can talk to her before you leave today, like I'm interested, help me with that. And we want to help you do that. Because here's what we're going to do. We're going to help you do this. We're going to be a part of it as well with you. And so if you would consider that, I hope that you would. Look, if you will, at verse 10. first Peter 4.10. We're wrapping up. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God, and whoever serves, stop for a moment. You know, when you think of this, this is just a short list. If you know about spiritual gifts in other letters in the Bible, they have more detail. And Peter is just assuming that these people, and he's assuming that you and I, we know what those gifts are, and that hopefully you know, as a believer, what the gift God gave you as a follower. And he kind of breaks them up into two categories, because that's how they're broken up. Either they're speaking gifts, or they are serving gifts. And you would think that no one would have to like be encouraged that if you don't happen to have a gift that you think is important that you would have to be encouraged with it. But it's interesting that Paul takes a whole uh, chapter in 1 Corinthians and he begins to talk about it. Because there were people who said, Hey, listen, uh, you know, I'm one of the servants. Uh, No one ever sees really what I do. And so I'm not as important as someone who does the speaking. And yet what Paul's wanting you to realize is, first of all, the gift was given to you by God, and he sovereignly chose what gift he would give to each of his children. And so whatever gift you have, God gave it to you because he chose. That is the gift I want you to have. And you and I are to obediently steward what he has given you and I for the benefit of other people. And so in 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, listen, it doesn't matter which one he gave you. You are important in the body of Christ. If you're one of the members, you are important in the body of Christ. So use your gift. In fact, I'll just read for you at the very end of this particular in 1 Corinthians. It says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more parts that hey, you don't see it, but they're absolutely important. God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the parts that lack it, that there may be no division in the body, But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all of them suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So take your gift that God has given you and use it. So you might have taken a a spiritual gift, inventory. Some are helpful, some are not. What has helped me the most is this, realizing this. Whatever gift you have, it was given to you supernaturally, but it feels natural to you to do that. Does that make sense? You have been supernaturally given a gift. And you'll pretty well know what that gift is because it comes natural to you when you interact with other people. It just comes out that you are an encourager or that you come alongside and you help somebody without any recognition or being asked. You just happen to see it. Or you have mercy and you can come along beside someone and you can weep with them when they weep. You can cry with them. You can comfort them. And the thing is, you're not doing that just because... You're a good person. You're doing that because God gave you that gift, and it just comes natural to you. In fact, it goes on to say this in verse 11. It says, And one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In Philippians, would you read this with me? For it is God who works in you both to will, In other words, to have the desire or the want to to do it and to work. In other words, the energy from God to be able to do what he has called you and I to do. So it is God in you that gives you a desire to and the ability to take what God has given you and exercise it in the life of other people. And so the thing is, not only good comes to those people, But you begin to experience joy because you're using what God has given you. Make sense? Because it's not all, hear me, this almost sounds like sacrilegious, but hear me, the whole thing. We do all things for God's glory, the good of other people, and sometimes we forget this. Our joy. Jesus came that you and I might have joy. Joy. And one of the ways you and I have joy is when we see God is honored and good comes to other people because God is working through my life in your life. And I have this incredible joy that God would want to use me in the life of somebody else. But here, I want to end because this raises the bar to me of what it really means to honor and glorify God. Look at the very last part of verse 11. We do all this in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in other words, our sound judgment, sober-mindedness that we might pray properly... Are our arming ourselves with the same purpose as Jesus, to be faithful to the Father no matter what, our fervently loving one another, forgiving one another, our showing hospitality without grumbling or complaining, our stewardship of the gift that God has given us, or ultimately God's way that He has designed that He would receive glory. Because... He gets the most glory when you and I are operating the way He has called you and I to operate. In fact, Paul said it a different way, and many of you know this verse by heart. But I want you to read this with me and think about how is the greatest way to honor God and to glorify Him. Uh, What is God's design How has God designed you and I to give Him the greatest honor and glory? Well, here's how Paul puts it. Would you read it with me? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice. Which is what? Holy and acceptable to God. Which is your spiritual worship? You and I worship God to the highest degree when we live obediently to everything He has called you and I to do for His honor, for the good of other people, that you and I could experience incredible joy, not shrink back, but keep engaging, keep adapting, keep moving forward no matter what's going on in the world. You and I are to continually moving forward. So with that, would you just bow your head for a moment and close your eyes? And I'm going to give you just opportunity to just respond back to God quietly. And then Jonathan will help us that we can publicly and openly just commit that once again. We might encourage one another as we sing our response back to God. That God, you've called me to certain things. And doesn't matter the condition of the world, because we know we live in a broken world, whether things are going well to our standards or not. We live in a broken world. It's always been broken. It's never been how it should be. This particular thing we're going through now, it's just a reminder it's never been. But it's also a reminder for us as your followers not to allow what is happening in the world to either cool us down, to cause us to turn inward, to cause us to have tunnel vision, to cause us to not pray properly, to cause us to shrink back Allow us to be offended at every little thing. Be offended at people we don't even know. We hear them on the TV and we're offended at what they said or done. We don't even know them. And then to hoard our gift. And apathy. And it dams up the love in our hearts. And it just backs up. Like a sewage. I pray that you'd help us. Not to allow what's going on in the world. But your purposes. Will. Be accomplished. And then we would look to you. Our great God. That you have saved us as your people. To live in a broken world. To adapt. And engage. And not let us shrink back so Lord may we deal in our hearts with you and may even our song be once again our recommitment and in a moment that we're not just dismissed from this place but we are sent into a broken world redeem people we carry you and your word and your love and help us go into this world and engage. I ask you to forgive me when I shrink back and I let life get the best. For me, just the encouragement of my brothers and sisters all saying the same thing, encouraging one another. What a joy this has been this morning. May our song be our recommitment once again to engage.